We've been in a series called Disrupted for the past seven weeks, walking through the book of Jonah. This is our last Sunday in that series. So um, basically every week we have seen a way that God disrupts Jonah or disrupts his audience uh, for a purpose. Usually that purpose is to draw their attention back to God or to draw their obedience back to God or something along those lines, or at least that's what results in it. But we haven't really gotten to know God through the process. We see stuff that he's done, but we're always asking why. Um, he, he doesn't really give a reason until this week. So, you know, this week is, is exciting for me. We get to really dive into the, the mechanics of, of, of why God does the things that he does with Jonah, with Nineveh. And we've gotten these lessons in how we are sent into the world as Christians, right? And how we disrupt the lives of the people around us so that they might know God better. Um, we've talked about why God disrupts our plans, why God disrupts our comfort, why God disrupts our safety, why he disrupts our enemies. And today we talk about why he disrupts our heart. This is the foundation underneath everything else. Why would he send us and do this and do that if he's not disrupting our hearts? All right, so we'll get into that uh, a little bit more in just a second, but I want you to, to see Jonah's heart. I want you to see what's going on in his head and the way that he's thinking, in the first couple of verses that, that we read, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry that Nineveh had repented, right? That he had gone through all this rigmarole, and he got swallowed by a fish and spit out and had to do all this stuff. It says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly that Nineveh had repented, that God had spared them. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Why is God putting Jonah through this? He knows. He knows God. He knows the lessons. He, Jonah can talk a good game right? He, he's steadfast and abounding in love and slow to anger and, and relenting from disaster. And he shows grace and mercy to these people. And he knows all of that. So why would God go through these motions of teaching Jonah these, these lessons? It's not so Jonah would obey. I want to say that again. God did not do this so Jonah would obey God. Jonah also, or God did not do this also so that Nineveh would be saved. Okay? If that was his purpose, that Jonah obeys and that Nineveh is saved, the book would end at chapter 3. Mission accomplished. Okay? Jonah did what he was told. He didn't like it, but he did it. He obeyed. Okay? Nineveh has been spared. Mission accomplished. The end. Happy ending to a story. God sends Jonah back home. That's it. That's not the point of the book, and that's not where it, it stops. Jonah knows that he has been called by God. Okay? He, listen to his words. He knows that he's been called by God in verse 2. He knows that he has messed up, 
by not going right away, right? He's trying to justify himself. This is why I didn't go. I knew you were a gracious God. He knows that Nineveh was in danger. He knows God's character. He says all of these things out loud in his prayer to God. We know what's on his mind. But here's the thing. It's not enough. It's not enough for Jonah to know this. And it's not enough for him to go about doing this stuff. It's not enough for him to obey God. What's missing here? He can talk a good game, but his heart is not reflective of God's. In fact, it's resentful. It's not enough that we know about God. It's not enough that we obey God's commands. If we are not reflecting God's love, we are not reflecting God. If we are not reflecting his heart, if we're not sharing his heart, in other words, this is what, what God is doing. You, you listen to God's words and he's saying he grows a plant. He kills it. He talks to Jonah. He helps him reason through it. Why? It's like he's He's trying to persuade Jonah of something. He's trying to urge Jonah in a, in a certain path. He's trying to get Jonah to see something that God sees. It's not enough that Jonah just knows this stuff in his head about God. God wants to actually share the same heart as Jonah. He wants to share the same love for lost people with Jonah. So he's persuading him. He's urging him. So... I'll reflect back to that first question that I asked you guys to talk about. Have you ever had to do something and your heart wasn't in it? That is a terrible feeling when it comes to the gospel. That is a gut-wrenching feeling. You know people are in danger. You know God is loving. You know you have the gospel and you just are not feeling it. There's no urgency there's no concern. It's just, I could talk to people. I could share this life-saving news. But honestly, like, I, I got my own life going on right now. I got my own day happening here, right? We don't want to get disrupted. How often do we actually feel the urgency of people in danger enough, deeply enough, to actually pursue them with the love of God? There's a disconnect going on between our head and our heart and our hands to actually carry it out. There's a disconnect going on here. So, so we know God is awesome, but we don't feel awestruck. We know that God is just, but we feel gypped by his justice. We know that God is praiseworthy and we feel more like pouting. We know God has forgiven us. And yet we still feel guilty. We know he redeems the world, but we feel resentment toward the world. There's a disconnect going on. How do, we, how do we break through that barrier not to just know about God and not to just do what he says, but to feel how he feels towards his people in danger? How do we not just share the same mission, but share the same heart as God? There's kind of two parts to this answer, right? So first... We talk about how do we, share, how do we share God's heart toward others? How do we feel what he feels? That's part of it. Bless you. How do, how do we feel what he feels towards others? Right? So that's kind of part one. Um, part two is how do we receive that word for ourselves in such a way that makes a lasting impact, 
changing impact in our lives. How do we love people and how do we receive God's love for ourselves? Okay, let's boil that down. So 1 John 4 says this, in this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the saving sacrifice for our sins. So there's something very beautiful and very sobering about God's love and the gospel and this story of Jonah. First, we don't need to feel it to be effective in sharing it. Okay? That's a wonderful thing. That Jonah could still obey God's command and do what he says and speak God's word and Nineveh be saved and Jonah's not feeling it the entire time. God is still effective through Jonah even though Jonah's not effective. That's, that's a beautiful thing. That's also a sobering thing. Knowing that God doesn't, God doesn't need Jonah. He doesn't need Jonah to feel a certain way, which kind of does away with this whole thing like, well, you know, I, I, I want to obey God, but my heart's just not in it. I'm going to sit back until I feel it's right. Okay, that's done, right? We're, we're, not, we're not okay with that. God is not okay with that. I'll, I'll, I'll obey God when I feel like it, but my heart's not in it, and I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. We're a hypocrite anyway, all right? So just put that down and, and, and do what God says to do. There's a story that Jesus tells about two sons. One says, you know what? Uh, The father tells them to go do something. One son says, I don't want to do that, but then gets up and does it. The other one says, I will do that, but then never does. And, And God says, you know, which one actually accomplished the will of his father? It doesn't say, it doesn't matter how he felt. He did it. And same way with Jonah, it doesn't matter how he felt. People were saved, lives were saved because he obeyed God. God does not need us to feel it to do great things in this world, okay? Now that is, that is sobering, but it's also comforting that the power of God and the power of his word is bigger than us. That's a good thing. Now how do we receive God's love or how do we receive the impact of the Spirit to actually feel like doing what we know we should do to have our heart in sync with God's. Like, that's a little harder because there's all kinds of plaque built up on our hearts and there's all kinds of, of boundaries and borders that would keep us following God's command and his word. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that's, that's there that kind of puts up a haze um, so we know We know we need stuff, but we don't feel like we need it because we have so much stuff that we don't need, okay? We know we need stuff, but we don't feel that need because we have so much stuff that we don't need, okay? Let me me put it in in, uh, another person's um, words. So there's this book called Disruptive Witness, um, and here's uh, here's how the author... uh, Alan Noble is the, is the author. Here's how, here's how he presents this, um, this truth. Consider for a minute what it is like. This is kind of a lengthier quote, so I'm going to ask you to stay with me, okay? Listen, listen carefully. Consider for a minute what it is like to attend church on a Sunday. 
You are awakened by an alarm on your cell phone. An amazing piece of technology and testament to the power of human mastery over the natural world. Your cell phone. You eat eggs for breakfast. They come almost miraculously clean, large, and white in a carton that has been inspected by some government agency to ensure it is safe. The carton lists the nutritional composition of the eggs along with a few words about their health benefits. Everything has been considered. You get dressed in clothes that you bought ready-made. You drive to church in a glistening, energy-efficient sedan with advanced safety features and glance occasionally at the cars next to you, in which people are completely preoccupied and content with the technology around them. As you drive through the city, everything you see appears as a work of human achievement. Stoplights, fire trucks, businesses, freeway overpasses, skyscrapers. At church, you sing songs. Now catch this. That's been your morning up to this point. You get to church. You sing songs praising God's provision, his mercies, his creation, and his grace. But everything you experienced on the way to church, from the food you ate to the beauty you witnessed, testified to humanity's ingenuity and mastery of the world. Even though you know that Jesus is our creator and sustainer. Living in this kind of society, it is hard to sense the transcendent. It's hard to feel what you know to be true. It seems superfluous. How do we disrupt this reality? How do we break through that lack of all these man-made things of achievements? I mean, even, even the creation around us, like you think about most subdivisions, well, I got trees, I got grass. Yeah, but it's been orchestrated and partitioned in such a way that looks beautiful and looks clean and, and well manicured and all this kind of stuff. Like we, 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 we see it so nice and neat and encapsulated for our convenience. How do we break through this plaque? We know that God creates us. We know he sustains us. We know he's marvelous in all of these situations. And yet, we feel so underwhelmed. I mean, even here, I I don't know how how you feel right now or how you felt when you got here. But a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, I come to church and it's something that we do. It's time to set up. We get the chairs out. We sit down. We sing a few songs. We talk about God. We read his word. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I leave here. All right, time to take a nap. Time to get ready for next week. Time to get the kids clothed. Make sure everything, we got enough food for the week. Make sure the clothes are ready. And what's changed? What, what has changed? Where's the disrupt in the heart? Are we, are we actually in sync? Have I given any thought at all? to who I'm going to see in the week and how I'm going to talk about God's word, how I'm going to share God's grace, and how I'm going to set aside even even five minutes in the morning to just marvel at his presence and who he is and what he has done in this world. Have I planned that far ahead? How do we break through this plaque that is all around us, all around our minds and our hearts? How do we get on the same page? Um, I'll... I'll summarize it in in one word, but we'll break it down into three areas. Presence. 
We are present. Okay, there's a difference between presence and proximity. Okay, you can be, you can be close to something and not be present. Okay, I can share a house with four other uh, people, three really tiny ones and, and my spouse. I can share a, a house with them and not be present. My mind can be somewhere totally different, right? I can be close to them and not be present with them. I can be close to the people of God in this space. I can know that God is here. I can know what his word says about him and not be present with him. My mind can be somewhere totally different, okay? So presence is how we disrupt this thing. First, presence with God. When I was in college, we had a a class called Tropical Biology. We took like a, a, a field trip to... Belize for a week. We went to see the rainforest. We went to see the beaches. And, and uh, Dr. Lawrence Meisner, who is just a guru of biology uh, and was far underpaid for his skills while we were there at that college. But he uh, was just a, a marvel at, at knowing how God's creation you know, works and be able to present that in a way. But one of the assignments that we had while I was there... Um, you had to pick something in the rainforest, stare at it for 30 minutes by yourself. Just stare at it for 30 minutes and write down your observations, okay? I picked a philodendron because I, I like the way that it was fascinated by like how a, a leaf would grow with natural holes right in the middle of it, right? Um, and so I, I wanted to just write what I saw. I'll be honest with you, five minutes into that, I was tortured, I was like, what am I going to do for the next 25 minutes? Like, it's, a, it's green, it's shaped like a heart, there's a hole in it, right? It wraps around a tree. What, what, what else is there? And then, like, after 10 minutes of just kind of staring ahead blankly and getting distracted, you know, I, I started noticing stuff. I, I started paying closer attention to the way the, the, the veins in the leaf kind of spidered out that brought the water and the nutrients all throughout it. I started paying attention to the, the way that it wrapped up a tree. I started paying attention to how many bugs went up and down it and on it and off it and, and things that needed it for its protection and its shade. Um, you know, all of these things started coming to me. All I did was just sit there and pay attention to it for 30 minutes. That was, that was it. That was all it took. And I got this new appreciation. I was like, well, that was just a leaf. You know, what about something that, that moves and thinks and, and, and has a family and, and, you know, gives birth? Like, I mean, the, the sheer amount of mystery and marvel in that. You know, if we just give it time to be present and think on the stuff that God has done in this world. It's incredible. Okay? So be present with God. Next, be present with people. Okay? Not just close to people. Not just proximate with people. Present with people. I'd say at least four days a week, I do my office work from about 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. in Summer Moon, okay? Um, And I sit in Summer Moon. I sit at the bar. I watch the baristas prepare drinks. I watch people come in the door and out the door. I watch people drive through the drive-thru. And and every day, it it strikes me how many people just come in and go out, Um, but very rarely do I stare at the people in the, in the coffee shop and look around, mostly because I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. But, um, you know, very rarely do I actually delve deeply into like, okay, what, what's going on here? What's going on in their lives? 
At any given time, there's like three pastors or, you know, four church workers from all kinds of churches around Kyle in that coffee shop. Church workers love coffee shops. But so they're all, they're all working in there, you know, and they're doing ministry stuff. Um, but, but other people who come in, they have, they have these, these lives and these stories and these mornings that they bring in with them. But very rarely do you actually think about that until something strange happens and you're forced to think, wow, that person actually brought their life in with them. Um, this woman pulls up in the drive-thru. I'm, I'm looking around and every, you know, everyone's got their polished look about them. The church workers are taking pictures of their Bible next to their coffee cups. And, you know, people are fixing their scarves and looking all nice. And, and then this woman comes through the drive-thru just immediately to my left, like crying. Not eyes wet, like messy sobbing. And it was very disruptive. Like instantly, my, my first instinct was just, okay, I have no idea who this woman is. I start praying for her. The staff starts getting together, and they're like, this lady's really messed up by something. What can we give? Can we give her a free cup of coffee? Like, can we give her a, a snack? Like, what can we do for her? It was disruptive. All of a sudden, like, you get this window into someone's life that you wouldn't have if, if it's just come and go. Keep it polished. Make yourself, you know, put your filters on your selfies. Do, you know, don't give it a second glance. But if you just take a minute and talk with people and really be present with someone and delve deep into this observation, getting to know them in their lives, kind of like, you know, we did um, in Belize with this, with this leaf. But if you just sit and give people the time to get to know them and be present with them, it is disruptive for your heart. Especially when you're with someone that you're sharing life with, that you can be honest with and they're being honest with you. Okay? So be present with God. Be present with people. And last, be present with God's word. Be present with his word. There's actual, actual power in God's word. It's not a story of a cross. It is a living word that empowers us with love through the cross. It's not just a story of an empty tomb. It is a living word that bestows victory over death to us. It's not just the story of the Holy Spirit coming on a group of people in the early church. It is a living word that creates faith in our own hearts. Where the spirit comes into our own lives. This word is living and active, it says. The word is living and active because it has flesh and a name, Jesus. It's not just a story. It's not just ink on paper. This word has power because it has a name and it bears the name of God. Don't get stuck in what you see and what you know. There is a greater reality going on. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8. Amari, if you could pull up Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, what we see and what we know to be true will pass away. It's transient, okay? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So if you feel unfeeling by this, like you got this plaque on your heart, be disrupted here and now. There is no greater time or place to be disrupted than in worship with the people of God by his word and his promises. This is where it happens because you got to see beyond the surface. you got to see deeper than that. You are present with the actual God of the universe 
in this meal, in the, in the body, in the blood, in the bread, in the wine, through the word, you are present with the living God in your life. You cannot not be disrupted by that unless you turn around and say, no thanks. You're present with these people all around you, each carrying their different story into this room. Different hurts, different pains, different disillusionments, different dreams, different hopes, different celebrations. Everybody has their own. This is an intricate, intricate display of God's grace working individually in the lives of every person here and then communally by bringing them all together and creating something that he calls a body. Organisms, different organs, different functions. And he makes us work together and gives us purpose together. Sends us together. He is present with his word. He is forgiving and transforming us and sending us. But this community and our presence in this world disrupts its destruction. The living and the loving word of God. 